Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 24th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Let's get started with our fraud report. Dr. Lisa Michelle Barden was convicted by a jury last Tuesday of filing false workers' compensation claims and police reports. This conviction follows her guilty plea last month to 274 felony charges of using patients' identities and other doctors' prescription pads to obtain thousands of highly addictive painkillers. The Coachella Valley physician is due back in court on January 27th, when she will be sentenced on the two counts on which she was convicted, along with the several hundred felony charges to which she previously pled guilty. She unsuccessfully proceeded to trial on the felony charge of filing a false workers' comp report and misdemeanor charge of making a false police report, insisting that she did not fabricate an account of being assaulted and stabbed. Jurors who deliberated less than a full day following a 10-day trial disagreed. The charges stem from a call she made to police in 2008 in which she reported that she was stabbed outside her Palm Springs office. The prosecution introduced video showing Barden buying a butcher's knife similar to the one police seized at the scene an hour later. An expert witness concluded her two stab wounds were self-inflicted. The people's theory was that she staged a fake attack on herself. A representative from Employers Insurance Company testified that the workers' comp insurer paid about $25,000 to Barden during her recovery. A restitution hearing is expected to be scheduled after the physician is sentenced. In the earlier criminal case, prosecutors claimed Barden stole 15 patients' identities and faked other doctors' signatures to obtain Vicodin and OxyContin pills. She was arrested in 2009 following a year-long investigation by the California Department of Justice Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement and the Riverside Regional Pharmaceutical Narcotic Enforcement Team. She became the focus of an investigation after several pharmacists reported that she was showing up to retrieve prescriptions under different names. According to investigators who followed her in 2007 and 2008, Barden illegally acquired more than 30,000 pills, primarily hydrocodone, Vicodin, and OxyContin. Barden visited 43 pharmacies on 131 occasions to get her drugs, according to BNE investigators. The Rancho Cucamonga resident, also known as Lisa Degner, worked at several Palm Springs medical clinics. A judge previously indicated that Barden faces a year in prison and five years probation under her December 15th guilty plea to illegally obtaining Vicodin and OxyContin pills on numerous occasions. The owner of the famous Brookdale Inn & Spa in Santa Cruz faces four years in prison for allegedly committing workers' compensation fraud. The Brookdale Lodge on Highway 9 was built in the 1990s. In its heyday, the lodge hosted the rich and famous, such as Marilyn Monroe and President Herbert Hoover. By 2007, the inn had 46 hotel rooms, 45 apartments, 30 storage units, a large restaurant and bar, a live music venue, and a general store. Sanjeev Kakar bought the property in the summer of 2007 and renamed it. 
A Santa Cruz Superior Court judge ruled Thursday that the new in-owner will face a criminal trial in March for allegedly mishandling workers' compensation. According to prosecutors, Kakar is accused of dissuading an employee from seeking workers' compensation after a work injury. He is charged with fraud and making false claims and faces up to four years in state prison if convicted. In the workers' compensation case, Kakar's attorney has told prosecutors that the injured man was not an employee at the time of the accident. His criminal trial is set on March 14th. In addition to the March criminal trial, there are four active civil actions against Kakar, according to court documents. The owner's latest legal troubles come after years of legal wrangling that date back to shortly after he bought the property in 2007. The inn suffered a fire that is being investigated as arson, a fish kill when an employee dumped chemicals into the creek that flows through the dining room, and problems with non-permitted construction work as well as complaints that have led to civil lawsuits. A Vacaville man pleaded guilty Thursday in a federal district court to fraudulently receiving federal workers' compensation benefits and now could face more than a half million dollars in fines and restitution to the Department of the Navy. According to the plea agreement, Michael Howell began receiving monthly workers' compensation payments in 2001, claiming total disability that prevented him from working. However, according to prosecutors, Howell worked marketing construction materials where he met with suppliers and customers throughout Northern California. In addition, Howell earned income by repairing roofs and laying brick, activities inconsistent with his claimed physical limitations. The case is the product of an investigation by the United States Naval Criminal Investigation Service, or NCIS. Howell is scheduled to be sentenced on March 31st. As part of his plea, he has also agreed to repay over $300,000 in restitution to the Department of the Navy. He also faces a maximum statutory penalty of five years in prison, three years supervised release, and a $250,000 fine. And now our medical news. The findings of a new medical study appears to be in marked contrast to what claims administrators typically see in industrial injury cases. It is more likely than not that injured workers perceive themselves to be profoundly disabled after having a back surgery. Not so with professional football players. Perhaps motivation, secondary gain, and quality of care has a great deal to do with favorable surgical outcomes. Researchers at Northwestern University's Feenberg School of Medicine reported in the American Journal of Sports Medicine that professional football players undergo back surgery and often return to the gridiron. Indeed, four out of five players who have surgery not only return to play, they return to starter positions. Researchers decided to look into how often NFL linemen return to play following surgery for a herniated disc. Linemen tend to be the biggest and heaviest players on the team. To see how well elite NFL players fare, the researchers gathered information about linemen on team rosters between 1982 and 2009. Only those NFL linemen diagnosed with a herniated disc were included in the study. 
Of the 66 players they identified, 14 were treated non-surgically and 52 treated with disc surgery. Of those treated surgically, 81% returned to play in at least one game, although most played an average of 33 games over three years. Of the players treated with surgery, 36 had been starters before their herniated disc diagnoses, and 33 of them returned to that status after surgery. The success of surgical treatment in NFL linemen was significantly better than the authors expected. In contrast, only four of the 14 players treated non-surgically returned to play. Non-surgical treatment for herniated disc usually includes muscle relaxers, painkillers, and anti-inflammatory medications, and may involve cold compresses applied several times a day. Elite athletes have strong incentives to return to play, including multi-million dollar contracts in some cases. A new study claims that a cheap generic drug used to stem bleeding from heavy menstrual periods could save the lives of tens of thousands of accident victims each year. In a systematic review of studies on the effectiveness of tranexamic acid, or TXA, British researchers found that it reduces the risks of death in injured patients with severe bleeding by about 10%. This would equate to saving more than 70,000 lives a year if the blood clotting drug was used worldwide. TXA reduces the risk of a patient bleeding to death following an injury and appears to have few side effects. Every year, more than a million people die from road injuries, making traffic accidents the ninth leading cause of death worldwide. And stabbings, shootings, and other injuries kill thousands more, many of them young men. Hemorrhagic, hemorrhage, or excessive bleeding, is responsible for about a third of trauma deaths in hospitals and can also contribute to deaths from multi-organ failure. Experts estimate that about 600,000 injured patients bleed to death worldwide every year. A study of 20,000 patients in 40 countries published last year also found that TXA significantly cut death rates in bleeding patients. Based on those findings, researchers said TXA could save up to 100,000 lives a year, including around 13,000 in India, 12,000 in China, 2,000 in the U.S. and more in Europe. They also said TXA, an off-patient generic medicine made by several companies and costing around $4.50 per gram, should be listed as essential by the World Health Organization. And in financial news, Christian Moore, the Chartist President and Chief Executive Officer, claims that workers' compensation insurance just does not pay. AIG has therefore decided to concentrate on higher margin business while reducing its exposure to lower margin workers' comp policies. AIG has now exited over $3 billion of that business in the last few years, and they will continue to do that as they move forward into this year. AIG reported $6.73 billion of workers' compensation premium in 2006, which has now been reduced to $3.55 billion in 2009. Speaking at the Property Casualty Joint Industry Forum in the United States, Moore said that this strategy will help Chartists manage the current business cycle. 
She added that innovation is a key part of their strategy, with the company offering nearly 200 new products and services worldwide last year. Chartus, the property and casualty subsidiary of AIG, serves more than 45 million clients in more than 160 countries and jurisdictions. A new report shows that U.S. tort costs have declined in 2009. The decline is blamed on a rising unemployment rate and a lower level of economic activity. In total, the U.S. tort system costs over $248 billion in 2009, down by $6.8 billion. That total translates to $808 per person versus $838 per person in 2008. The 2010 report analyzes U.S. tort costs from 1950 through 2009 with projections through 2012. The drop-off in 2009 was most evident in commercial tort costs. Commercial tort costs were 11.9% lower than the average in the peak years of 2004 and 2005. The decline in commercial tort costs offset modest gains in personal tort costs which increased slightly from $94.2 billion in 2008 to $95.4 billion in 2009. The authors of this report claim that the lack of a robust economy contributed to a decrease in the opportunity for tort actions. The report also noted that analysts anticipated a surge of directors and officers liability litigation in 2009 due to the credit crisis but the costs of such DNO litigation were much lower than expected. The ratio of tort costs to gross domestic product, or GDP, shrank in 2009, marking six consecutive years of a decline in the ratio. Since 1950, growth in tort costs has exceeded growth in GDP by an average of about two percentage points. Looking ahead to 2010, excluding the Gulf oil spill, Experts estimate tort costs in 2010 to be fairly stable, perhaps up 2%. And in 2011, a growth in U.S. tort costs should range from 1% to 5%. A higher increase is seen for 2012. And in regulatory news, GINA is federal law designed to prohibit the improper use of genetic information in health insurance and employment. GINA Title II precludes employers from requesting genetic information on a covered employee. Genetic information includes information obtained when taking a family medical history. GINA provides for recovery of compensatory and punitive damages and reasonable attorney fees including expert fees in the event of violations. There's been considerable concern about the application of Title II of GINA with respect to the administration of claims under the California Workers' Compensation Program. Workers' Compensation Claims Administrators may be at risk for a violation of GINA when they request medical records or interview an employee or even when the employee's deposition is taken. GINA and other important topics will be discussed at the annual employment law conference scheduled for February 16. The conference will also feature presentations on workers' compensation with the crucial crossover with the Fair Employment and Housing Act. Tina Walker, District Administrator of the Los Angeles Department of Fair Employment and Housing, will discuss the ABCs of the Fair Employment and Housing Act. 
The February 16 conference will be held at the Warner Center Marriott. Please call Christina at 818-206-9222, extension 212, for further information about this seminar. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please stop by again next week for more news.